I am turning 40 years old, and I can think of no better way to celebrate that than to give you a look at the 40 years I have been on this earth. This is Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights, or Matty Ice, or the Iceman. Whatever it is you want to call me, I'm here for it. And I am just glad that you are here to support me on this ride. Last week, we talked about class warfare. We talked about sneaker affordability and the idea of whether we all should be able to afford all of the same sneakers. And maybe some of these sneaker companies should be thinking about how they are marketing to the average sneakerhead because perhaps the average sneakerhead is not in a financial position to be able to afford something like the Tiffany Air Force One collaboration for $400 that is coming out. And you fast forward to this week, and my initial idea for this week was I was going to commemorate turning 40 years old by doing something kind of cute and giving you my 40 favorite sneakers of all time. And I realized something as I was trying to craft the narrative for this particular episode. And what I realized is that on this journey, I think what you have come to know about me is the sneaker version of me, or the sneaker lover that is Matty Ice or Matt Freights. And I realized that perhaps I have been doing a poor job in giving you a little bit of insight into who I am. Because really, if you think about it, at the end of today, why are you tuning into this show? There is a litany of sneaker content that is out there that you could consume. It's all over the place. Sneakers is one of the hottest commodities and topics on the content market today. There are countless YouTubers, countless podcasts out there. I am in a large sea of many, many fish that are sneaker content creators and trying to differentiate myself in this market comes down to one thing. It comes down to who I am. You are listening to this show because either you have a personal relationship with me and you are supporting me in this venture, or you have found me through the internet, searching on Apple Podcasts, searching on whatever podcast app it is that you use to consume podcasts, and you have found Matty Ice and you appreciate me for who I am in the sneaker world. Who I am in the sneaker world is a very, very small part as to who I am as a human being. And turning 40 years old, it adds a little bit of perspective to my life. And many things have changed just since becoming Matty Ice. When I say becoming Matty Ice, I mean finally finding the person that I wanted to be my whole life. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. Some people never truly become comfortable with who they are. And I just feel so comfortable with who I am today. And it feels appropriate as a gift to you for my 40th birthday to sort of give you a little bit more insight into who I am. 40 years is a long time. If you think about what the world was like 40 years ago, it was a fundamentally different place. And I don't just mean in sneakers. I mean, in general, 1983, February of 1983, my two parents, Patricia and Alan, were awaiting the birth of their only child. And I would end up being their only child together. My mom was 22 years old. 22 is very, very young. And by today's standards, a 22-year-old is still considered a baby in a lot of ways. At 22 years old, I was graduating from college, but I wasn't really ready to be an adult yet. And here was my mom being thrust into parenthood. It was something that she wanted, but man, 22 years old, like she was very, very young. My father was 35 years old. He had been in the Navy during Vietnam and he had come back and he had tried to forge a new life for himself. 
And through many trials and tribulations, he ended up where he was. And in February of 1983, they welcomed their only child, their son, Matthew, and that's me. And the world was fundamentally different. And some of the things that I looked up about 1983, and I mean the world in 1983, and I wanted to bring them to your attention because I think in the sneaker world today, when it comes to content consumption, I think the average consumer in the content world is actually younger, much younger than I am. I know that when I was on Reddit and I was a part of the rep game, and I conversed with a lot of different people, like many, many different people. And if you're somebody who I connected with through that, I'm really, really happy that you're still sticking with me. But I remember a lot of people would joke or laugh at me because I would say how old I was. And I mean, like, I'm an old person in this game. And I would tell them that I was nearly 40 years old and they would fall on the floor because I think it's not commonplace for many people in sneakers to be this old. And while there are a lot of old heads who have been in the game about as long as I have been alive, I don't think that many of those people are as out there in terms of content. I think those people quietly collect their sneakers, their collections, and they go on with their life and they are not a part of this huge content drain. They love sneakers and they consume it in a different way. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. I really don't know. But my assumption is that many people who come to YouTube, who come to podcasts are of the younger ilk. And I don't mean in high school. I mean, somewhere in their 20s. And that's where my mom was. And so in February of 1983, the world was vastly different. The president of the United States was Ronald Reagan. Now, back in that time frame, somebody like Ronald Reagan being president was kind of crazy because prior to that, he was an actor. Fast forward to today, and we have had instances where Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California, and Donald Trump has been the president of the United States, for better or for worse. So Ronald Reagan being the president back then was kind of seen as a laughingstock, but he ended up being one of the most beloved and revered presidents of the entirety of this country's history. And maybe history isn't on our side with that, but that's what it was at the time. The average price of gas. Gas has been in the news ever since the pandemic because of how low it's gotten, how high it's gotten. It's always been a commodity that has really moved the needle. The average price of gas in 1983 was 96 cents. I know that just today, I paid a little over $3.30. So clearly many things have changed. Obviously inflation has a lot to do with that. But just think about that, 96 cents for less than a dollar a gallon, we could have filled up our car. Pretty incredible. The price of milk. For 2% milk, a gallon of 2% milk, $1.35. It's pretty amazing when you think about how much it costs. And anybody who has had children, obviously milk is huge in the formative years for your children and all the way up until they're probably about 10 years old. So you're buying a lot of milk over that time period and that cost does add up. This is the one that I think hit me the most because of how housing prices have changed, but the average cost of a home was $82,500. I did not pay anywhere near that for the house that we are living in today. And granted, I live in an area, the Washington DC area, in which the real estate market is vastly higher than it is in a lot of different places. But that is amazing and remarkable to see. Now you can get homes for close to that now, depending on where you live, but living in a major metropolitan area, you are not even gonna sniff that. And that was just amazing. But this is the one that kind of relates to us. And it was the price of men's leather shoes. And maybe today men's leather shoes is too vague of a term or too vague of a way to describe sneakers, but that's really what they are at the end of the day. And the average cost of men's leather shoes was $39.99. Nowhere near that today. Even the Tom Sachs release that just happened recently was $110. So we've obviously gotten far away from that. The world was vastly different. I was born and raised in Bristol, Rhode Island. And if you're not familiar with Bristol, Rhode Island, what our claim to fame was is we had the longest running 4th of July parade in the entire United States. It is still running today. It is a spectacle there. 
it is what their entire year revolves around. And I remember growing up in that and living in that. And we went to that parade every single year. It was pretty awesome. Bristol is a town that is on the water. It is on the coast. But I want to say something. Most people, when I would tell them that I am from Rhode Island, they would assume that I had a boat and we had a yacht of some type. There is part of that in Rhode Island. If you go to Newport and the southern coast, you will find a lot of people who sail, a lot of people who have boats and very large homes on the water. This was a coastal town that was not a rich town. It was a very small town. While there was a rich population that was there, for the most part, it was just everyday, regular people. And growing up in a town that small, I was very sheltered from many, many things. I was sheltered from sneaker culture, first of all. I was sheltered from racism, really. We didn't see a lot of that because there wasn't as much diversity in this town. And that's not an indictment of the town. It's just an indictment of how people migrated and what the population makeup was. The demographics of New England are a majority white, and there are a lot of bad history between some of the areas in New England, particularly in Boston, and race relations. And so that is what it is. But I lived a very, very fortunate life. I was born to two parents who loved me unconditionally, who did what they had to do to take care of me, and they sacrificed a lot for me to grow up. And when I think about it now as a 40-year-old dad of a near three-year-old, I realize today, and maybe this happens to a lot of people, but I realize what they did to shelter me from many of the things that illed them as parents and as adults. We have a lot of responsibilities in life, and this kind of can go back to last week's episode, talking about should we be buying sneakers? Are they affordable? Are they affordable for everybody? Sometimes we have to make a lot of tough decisions in life, and sometimes we're waiting for the first and the 15th. We are living paycheck to paycheck, and while I don't live that way today, I have lived that way in my life. And I think about all of the parents and families out there who are living paycheck to paycheck who have multiple children. It's hard to raise a family and it's hard to shelter your children from that sometimes. And my parents did such a phenomenal job of doing that. They showered me with love. They showered me with support and appreciation. And really, when I think back on it, I wanted for nothing when I was young. So inside the house, my life was great. Now, it wasn't perfect. My parents were not perfect. No parent is ever perfect. I have a lot of emotional scars that I took with me from my childhood. But one thing I've learned over the last few years is that those should no longer define me. They are part of who I am and they have shaped who I am, but they do not need to be held on my neck like an albatross. They don't need to be something that define me, that just define everything that happens within my space. And so I have chosen to let those things go. I recognize them, but they're no longer part of my narrative. Outside of the home, I was a lot different than the person that you probably think that I am listening to this podcast. I'm out in the airspace. My opinions are out there. My personality is out there. And I willfully do so knowing that there are going to be people that are going to find out about me or find out about this show that are not going to like me. And they're going to go out of their way to tell me that they don't like me or critique whatever it is my opinion is, critique the show, critique my sneaker collection, whatever it is. There are people who are going to go out there and go out of their way to be negative. But back in the day, I was an outcast. And when I think about my childhood outside of my home, I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere. I didn't have some group that I identified with for certain periods of my life. I would identify with nerdy people. Sometimes I'd be more into sports and sometimes I'd be more into my studies. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized just how sheltered I was in terms of social interaction. I didn't have a lot of friends in college either. I had a very small group of friends and I wanna shout those people out, Adam, Jeremy, Jesse. 20 something years ago, we all met. 
We all became friends. And while we don't talk to each other every day, we don't see each other very often. Every time we do and every time we talk, it's like the first time we met. And those people supported me through a lot, a lot of crap. And that's what you want, right? You want a small group of people who will do that for you. I never had a large group of friends, but when I got out of college and I became an adult and I started making my own money, meeting other people my own age, that's when I realized that I have a lot of personality that is something that people gravitate toward. And slowly but surely, I started to find myself in this world. One domino after another would fall. I finally started losing weight after my heart attack at 27. I became a marathon runner. I ran literally all over this country. I met my wife, I had a child, and during the pandemic, I discovered my love and finally lived the dream of creating content. But even long before that, the places that I have traveled, I've been overseas, I've been to Italy, I've been to Spain, been to Africa, I've been all over this country, West Coast, East Coast, middle of the country, you name it. I have seen and experienced a lot of things, met a ton of people. And one thing that I have learned over that time period is that life is a great experience. It's never going to be perfect. There are going to be moments in our life that we feel are bogging us down. It may feel like, man, everything is going wrong. When is it going to stop raining and pouring all over me? And I've realized something that it's never going to always be good. You're gonna have to weather some storms. And much like sneaker culture, where we have to take L after L after L, I think we sometimes lose sight of the love that we have for this thing that is sneakers. The thing that we all share listening to this show isn't just that we can get our hands on sneakers, but it's the fact that we love them. We're here because we like talking about them and we like being heard and seen in a group of people that share a commonality of that love for something. And maybe not everybody sees that. I know that I wear sneakers everywhere and gosh, probably 99% of the people that look at me have no clue what it is I'm wearing. And that's cool with me. I don't really need that. But we come to this space and we come to other spaces, other podcasts, other YouTube channels because we want to be seen and we want to feel like we are part of a community. And the discovery of that, the discovery of understanding that finding a community could get me to the places that I wanted to go, could make me feel fulfilled, it opened so many doors for me. And when I think back on 40 years, so many things have changed. But then I also think about this, 40 years ago when I was born, think about how different the world was 40 years prior to that. And that was close to when my parents were being born. My grandparents were already born. 1943, we weren't even out of World War II yet. World War II is a moment in time that is fixated on this earth. Every single country seems to have something to do with it. And it always seems to be this line of demarcation. It's almost like the world before and the world after. And while the world before and after were not perfect, there's something about that moment. It's like a part of the space-time continuum. That wasn't over yet. And that was a huge moment in the history of this world. Had Hitler actually taken over the world, imagine where we would be today. I would definitely not be on this microphone talking to you. I don't think sneaker culture would have been a thing, but it did. And so the world has changed so much in 40 years. And I just think about all the experiences that I had, all the fads that I lived through, all the storms that I weathered, and all of them were meant to bring me to this spot, meant to bring me here, my voice projecting here for you, the listener, to hear. And maybe somebody out there hasn't found that lane yet. Maybe you have gone through more than 40 years in your life and thought, wow, I still haven't gotten to where he is. Sometimes it takes a while, but I know that you will get there. And I look back on my time on this earth, 
and I don't know how much more time than I have. I'm very fortunate to have had the full 40 years that I've had to be able to live the life that I have, be surrounded by the love, be surrounded by the people to have what I have, not just material goods, but to wake up every day and look in the eye of my son, the best creation and the best project, the best thing that I've ever created. No matter how big an episode of this podcast gets, no matter how big a YouTube video ever gets, the best thing that I'll ever create is my son downstairs. He is the light of my life. And when I think about everything that he is and everything that he could be, the potential of his humanity, it makes me so excited. It fills me with love and joy. And that's why I wanted to share a lot of this with you because there is a lot in this world to be happy about that is not just sneakers. Don't get me wrong. Sneakers are a wonderful, wonderful thing. I probably have to caveat that every single week. They are a wonderful thing. I love every day mindlessly scrolling through Instagram, looking at pictures of people's sneakers, because you know what? Y'all have some great photography skills. You have some great collections, and it's awesome. It is awesome to get lost in something that you love. But you know what? They're not something that has to define you. They're something that are a part of you, but they shouldn't be the coolest or most important part of you. Your humanity is good enough. And while I don't know all of you personally, I don't think I have to know all of you personally to know that there is something inside you that is worthy of somebody else's love, that is worthy of somebody else's humanity, being recognized, being seen, being heard. And that's all I wanted to share with you today, that my 40 years have not been perfect, but I have experienced a lot. I couldn't even put it into one episode. I really could not surmise my entire life into just 20 minutes. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job of opening the door just a little bit. And yes, you're here for the sneaker content. I get it. Maybe a lot of you don't care about who I am, but I'd like to think there is a small part of you that is listening to this show, not out of obligation, not just because it's about sneakers, but because the voice and the human, me, Matty Ice, Matt Freights behind this microphone is something that you can relate to just a little bit. And maybe you feel seen and heard by me. And that's very, very important to me. But you're here for the sneaker content, and I do understand that. So while I'm not going to give you my favorite 40 sneakers for 40 years, in the 40 years since I have been born, one shoe was created that changed everything, and it was the Air Jordan 1. There is a movie coming out very, very soon with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon about Phil Knight and the creation of Jordan brand through the creation and really the recruiting of Michael Jordan to come to Nike. And the rest is history about that. And I think many of us are very versed in that history. But I wanted to give you my top five favorite sneakers of all time. It's a completely subjective list. And I'm even going to give you an outside looking in a number six, an honorable mention. And none of these necessarily have to be in order, but I am going to give them to you in some kind of order. And I just want to end with a little bit of positivity and a little positivity about sneakers in general. So here we go with my number six, my outside looking in. This is a shoe that is old, and some of the shoes on this list are old, some are new. This one happens to be old, and this one happens to be in the Nike Dunk line. If you know anything about me and have listened to this show long enough that you know that the Nike Dunk Low, SB particularly, is my favorite silhouette of all time. And while this shoe is a Nike Dunk High, I think the story behind it, the design, and just the general aesthetic, and also the unavailability of it. It's not even a shoe that is highly repped because it is so old 
that so many people today who consume sneakers, and I talked about this earlier, that it's generally younger people, those folks I don't think even are aware of this sneaker to the point that they would even make it so hyped that rep makers would make it. And that is the Nike Dunk High Uncle, or the Dunkle as a lot of people call it. Black, white, pink, and that paint splatter pattern, just amazing. It's an amazing shoe. And there's not that many of them that were made, but it's absolutely wonderful, and I love it. If you've never heard of it, take a look at it. It's a unicorn, it's rare, but it's awesome. And there's just something about pink on a sneaker that has always done it for me. I mean, the Strange Love Dunks, those are very Valentine's Day, but man, they work so well with so many other ensembles, but pink on a sneaker just does it for me. So that is my outside looking in, and that brings us to my five favorite sneakers of all time. Number five is a shoe that is probably always going to be one of the most recognizable shoes in all of sneaker history. And I think the irony about it is the person behind this design was sort of found and in a room with other sneaker designers and sneaker heads in about 2017, designed this shoe and won a contest. And that shoe has been one of the most iconic shoes in Nike's history, but nothing that he has done since then has really lived up to that expectation or that hype. And while I think that he gets a lot of positive vibes and a lot of happiness from the designs that he has done since then, because they have a personal connection to the things that matter to him in his life, the shoes that he's come out with haven't really resurrected too much confidence in sneaker culture. But the Sean Watherspoon 97 is one of my favorite sneakers, it is my number five. It's amazing. Everything about it is amazing. The multicolors, the story behind it, LA to Virginia, the two consignment shops that he owns, or excuse me, the vintage shop that he owns, the materials with corduroy, the velour sock liner, all of it seems to work. There's something about it that feels casual, feels vintage, but also feels luxury at the same time. It's so unique. There is not really a shoe that is like it. And while they have created an Air Max 97 that has corduroy in different colors, it is not that shoe. And I really believe that most of the things that Sean Watherspoon has done since then have not really had the same response or the same hype. Maybe the ASICs that he did, but again, corduroy with different colors, and you can make it on a different silhouette, you can make interchangeable logos on it, but at the end of the day, it's still very similar to the first design. This was one of a kind, and I just love this shoe, will always love it, it is so expensive, I had to buy a rep pair of it, because you know what, it's just something that I had to have in my collection, I appreciate it so much. So the Sean Watherspoon 97 is number five. Number four was interesting because when the initial design was leaked, it wasn't something that got a lot of love. It was actually something that was made fun of. And Kanye West, when he left Nike, left behind the Air Yeezy 2 to go to Adidas to create the Yeezy line. And I think at the time, many people were unsure where that was going to go. Because when you leave behind a shoe that becomes as iconic as the Air Yeezy 2, especially the Red October drop, and you go to Adidas, it's like, what is he going to do now? This shoe, when the designs first came out, People made fun of it, but as soon as it dropped, it not only sold out, but it captured the hearts of so many sneakerheads everywhere because it not only was practical, but it was fire too. And that is the Yeezy 700 Wave Runners. This is one of my favorite shoes of all time, and it's one of the most comfortable shoes. It probably is actually the most comfortable shoe that I have ever worn. And there is something about it. It's chunky, it's got a dad vibe to it, but the colors on it, it just looks a little bit different than your traditional dad shoe. When I think of a dad shoe, I think of the Air Monarchs, I think of the old New Balances, the all gray New Balances, which ironically are in now, 
But the reason that those are in now is because the Yeezy 700 Wave Runners really made that so. It made the dad shoe cool, and a lot of the 700s that have come out since then, some are hit or miss, some are amazing. This is the one that started it all. I had a pair that I absolutely beat into the ground, and I will always have a pair in my collection at some point because they're just so damn comfortable. They go with everything. It meets practicality, it meets hype, and it meets fire footwear on your feet. And I think that it checks all those boxes. So the Yeezy 700 is my fourth favorite sneaker of all time. Early on in the resurrection of this show, I did an episode trying to surmise what was hype. And my number three is definitely high on the hype meter. Even when it came out, it was high on the hype meter and it just continues to rise because the person who designed this is no longer with us. Back in 2017, when Virgil Abloh designed the 10 series, the one that jumped out to people the most was the Chicago Jordan 1. And that's actually not my number three, but it is very much in line with that. There were two other colorways that went with that Chicago look. The one that is my number three is the all-white, off-white Jordan 1. And why? It's not because it's exclusive. It's not because it's expensive. It's because the artistic vision on top of simplicity is nearly perfect. Everything about that, the way that the deconstructed look was, almost a DIY kind of a look, but it didn't have an iconic look like the Chicago or even the UNC. It was plain white with some age looks on it, the text on it, the story behind it. Sneakers with stories are the best ones. Most of them on this list have a story behind them. And the all-white, off-white Jordan 1 it checks all of those boxes. I have a pair downstairs. The materials are exquisite. The design is perfect. And it's just beauty in simplicity. For me, one of the most simplest sneakers of all time, and yet somehow so complex. And being able to take the Venn diagrams of simplicity, practicality, and also artistic vision, and finding the melting point of that is just amazing. And Virgil Abloh shot himself to the moon with sneakers with that design. And everything that he came out with since not all of it has been a home run, but much of it has been hyped because of this particular collection. And that is my favorite one. It's an amazing shoe. I love it. And when I wear it, I wear it with confidence because you know what? Sneakers are meant to wear. So that is my number three. Speaking of sneakers with a story, my number two is a Dunk Low. It's my favorite silhouette of all time my favorite sneaker of all time. My number two favorite sneaker of all time is a dunk that has probably the story that is the most critical in terms of sneaker culture. The Jordan 1 started sneaker culture or at least started it percolating. And through the 90s with Michael Jordan's career being where it was and being that successful, people were buying Jordans at an astronomical rate. Once he retired and we got into the early 2000s, this is when Nike SB picked up the mantle of the Nike Dunk, which had been a failed experiment or a mostly failed experiment in terms of longevity. From the Be True to Your School series in the 80s, it tried to capture a little bit of the magic from the Jordan 1. And you fast forward to the early 2000s when Nike SB and skateboarding culture picks up the Nike Dunk. Then we're looking at February, I believe, of 2005, and we are going to do an episode on this man coming up later this month, and Jeff Staple gets his shot at designing a Nike Dunk. And Jeff Staple has a very fascinating story that we're gonna dive into in a lot more detail a little bit later this month. But this particular shoe releases in New York City at his boutique, and select few stores around the city get a very, very limited run of this. And this is back 20 years ago almost, where you had to go in person to get these shoes. The internet did not exist the way that we know it today to where you can just click, 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 and have shoes in your doorstep in about a week. 
It caused riots and it caused it to be on the front page of the New York Times. And that is the OG pigeon dunks. Gray, orangey red on it with the pigeon logo that has now become synonymous with Jeff Staple and just about everything that he has done. It's the perfect dunk. And again, it has that history. It's old and you don't see it wrapped because again, I think that is too old for a lot of people today consuming sneakers to fully understand the story. But I do believe that if you are somebody who is in sneakers today, that you should be going back and appreciating the history. And that's part of why this show exists really. Sneaker stories. That shoe has a story. And because of that shoe, it made sneaker culture mainstream. It almost exposed everybody. It was incredible. It's a perfect shoe. And I'll never get my hands on a pair because there are just so few that exist in the world. And it being as old as it is, it's a collector's item now. It's perfect though. I wish I had a pair. It will forever be my grail dunk. And that is my number two sneaker. That brings us to number one. What could my number one sneaker of all time be? Well, when I thought about what my favorite sneaker could be, to me, it feels appropriate that it should be an Air Jordan. And why is that? Well, while the Nike Dunk is my favorite silhouette of all time, even I have to recognize that the Air Jordan is really the reason why this podcast exists, why I love sneakers, and why so many people internationally consume sneaker culture. And so when I think about my favorite Air Jordan, you all know that I have somewhat of a hot take that the Jordan 1 is not my favorite silhouette. It is a great silhouette, but it is not my favorite silhouette. My favorite silhouette is the Jordan 4. There's something very retro-y 80s about it that is awesome. I love everything about it. It's bulky, yes, but aesthetically, it just has a look that seems to just pop out. It, to me, feels so much more unique than a Jordan 1. And so my number one sneaker had to be a Jordan 4. But which one? There have been so many. Well, May of 2019, I'm probably about a year, a little bit less than a year back into sneaker culture. And we have some friends that are visiting and there is a drop on the sneakers app that is coming up. And it is a drop for this particular shoe. And we have plans in the morning to go out. And my wife and I are out driving. Our friends are in the back seat. I'm driving. And all of a sudden I take my phone out and I very stealthily am kind of getting to the sneakers app, trying to get to this, trying to get to this. Four years ago, the sneakers app was not a draw. It was first come, first serve. So I'm clicking, clicking, and I get through. And I'm waiting. So we're driving back to the house, and I get back, and I get the got him. And it was incredible. This shoe has a story, a Michael Jordan story. It is the shoes that he was wearing when he made the shot against Craig Elo. It put him on the map in terms of playoff success. And the rest of his basketball history is basically born of that moment. So my favorite sneaker of all time is the bread or the black and red Jordan 4. There's just something about it. Black, white, red, the way that it all works with a little bit of that gray. I think they were even called black cements at one point. I love this shoe. I have a retail pair of it downstairs. And unfortunately, after washing them one day, apparently I left them wet or something happened to them and it cracked the leather. But this is an iconic shoe with an iconic story following an icon of basketball and an icon of sneakers. That is my number one because there's just everything about it that is amazing. It looks good, it has a story, it's steeped in history, and it's important to the culture because Michael Jordan continuing to have playoff success continued to vault his image and his hype all the way to the moon, which means sneaker culture could exist. Sneaker culture could continue. And these shoes just kept coming out and coming out and coming out. So the Bread Jordan 4 is my favorite. If you had to think about your favorite sneaker of all time, what would it be? 
And really, what is the most significant thing that has happened in your life since you have been born? As I said, in the 40 years that I've been born, many things have happened, but it all has led to this moment. I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Instagram, at FireFootwearPod is the handle for this show. The show is on Facebook now. Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast is what you search to find us on Facebook. Remember to follow us there. If you want to find the show on Twitter, at FireFootwearPod is the handle. If you want to find me personally on Twitter, at MattyIceFreights is the handle for that. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, please remember to hit follow. Please remember to hit rate. Means the world. Keeps us charting. All that good stuff. Please, please support the Matty Ice Media Network to support all the other podcasts that we have. We just finished the big game pre-show Bedlam show, which was a three-hour live show for the Super Bowl. It was a rousing success. Iceman and coach, political football, reading the defense. We have posted all three hours of that split up on all of those shows feeds. So please go check that out. And you can find links to that at MattyIceMedia.com. I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. And as always, I will talk to you next week. I'll see you on the other side of 40. This is Fire Footwear. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.